Welcome one and all to a new episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is actually going to be uh, Ginny Loveday, who is a regional manager, a regional coordinator uh, for Dungeons & Dragons Adventures League. She's a really actually amazing gal who puts in a lot of work to make it so that a lot of people have Adventures League fun. So if you've heard of that Adventures League or brand new to the concept, you get to learn a lot about it here as we kind of go over what it is and what it's like to run it as well. And Ginny has a fantastic amount of content uh, that she can bring forth and let us learn all the stuff we can from her so i hope you enjoy this episode Welcome one and all to a new episode of My RPG Podcast. Today's guest is Ginny Loveday. Ginny, would you please introduce yourself? I am Ginny Loveday, as he said, and you might recognize my name if you're familiar with the Dungeons and Dragons Adventures League Organized Play Program. I was uh, kind of a prominent figure in that for a while, local coordinator in the Knoxville area, and then eventually the regional coordinator for all of the U.S. Southeast region. Now, I say used to be because the uh, volunteer program for Wizards of the Coast Organized Play was actually disbanded almost two years ago now. It was uh, December of 2016. Uh, But... uh, even though it was disbanded, a lot of us that were doing that are still doing the same organizational task, community-driven task, and out there being visible in the greater organized play community. Yeah, I would consider you something of a D&D enabler. And uh, I actually had the opportunity to meet Ginny at one of my local conventions, MoaCon, recently, because I have been uh, periodically kind of going into the uh, kind of RPG section of, like, Dragon Cons, Momo Cons, any local conventions as a sort of, um, uh, how, how, how do I put it? It's, it's like a bit of a reset for me from all the activity that happens at a con to go back to like, all right, I'm at a table, we're rolling die, we're good. All right, all the madness is over and all the pocky like sticks and all the stuff and people all around me. Like I kind of get home. I'm kind of home when I'm sitting at a table. And so uh, I actually ran into her uh, there asking around for podcast guests, and she's way more than qualified for this position. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. And that's one of the ways that I continue uh, to remain involved in the community. I do organize several conventions, uh, MomoCon being one of my uh, nearest and dearest, not actually nearest geographically. Um, I don't live in Atlanta, contrary to public perception. It's just I'm just there a lot. Uh, but I am now the director for the RPG room as of next year. Uh, spoiler alert, everybody. And uh, so that means I organize all of the, not only D&D there, but I'm also involved in organizing and coordinating volunteers for every single thing that happens in that glorious ballroom where it is both quite peaceful and definitely a madhouse all at once. Awesome. I got an exclusive scoop on my podcast. That's great. But uh, before we get into Avengers League and the stuff you do and the fantastic things you do at conventions and whatnot, what was your kind of genesis? What was the beginning of your fascination with RPGs? So I've pretty much for my entire life, and I'm sure this is true of most people who are nerds, been a nerd. Uh, you know, can't can't stop. You could, you know, take the books away from the girl, but you can't stop her from being a nerd. Um, also, you couldn't take the books away from me. I would hide them. So that said, you know, I've always been into fantasy and science fiction settings. Grew up in a very small town in West Tennessee and read every single fantasy book I could get my hands on. Uh, there is not a single Anne McCaffrey book at the public library in Tipton County that I have not read. Um, I actually had several of them for way too long. I gave them back and I gave them more books even. But so that was kind of my uh, genesis into fantasy self. And then I learned about D&D in high school, but being small town, female, very country, I, I, didn't, I didn't even know where to begin. I didn't know how to play. I didn't know if there was anything to play. Uh, who, who knows? Um, I found out you know, now that there are some stores over there, but they probably didn't exist then. But I got to college. 
Uh, fourth edition wasn't quite out then. Played a really sporadic, not sure if it was following any of the rules or we were just making it all up as we went along. Third edition and then 3.5 game or two or three. And then I started really truly playing D&D in fourth edition, which I'd rather not, you know, claim that because fourth edition is either a love or a hate relationship, and I'm not a fan, but that's, you know. But anyway, started really in fourth edition. My good friend Katie Cole, who uh, actually lives in Atlanta now, uh, ran my first regular encounters game, and it was so much fun. So we played that, and then Fifth edition came out, and that was pretty much all she wrote. I started fifth edition with the D and D Next playtest, which was, you know, before it was its thing the whole way back when. So from the very beginning, I've been playing, and as soon as we realized there was an organized play and there was a gap in the Knoxville, I didn't even check to see how deep the pool was. I just dove in head first, <laughs> and that's really, you know, like so hooked line and sinker on fifth edition. I love it. I'm going to teach it to anyone who wants to learn it. I don't play as often as I would like because there are only 24 hours in each of the seven days of the week. Yes, unfortunately, our, our calendars don't allow us to elongate time. But before before uh, we got you into running Adventures League and stuff like that, were you primarily a player or did you ever take a gander at being a GMDM? I only played until 5th edition, and I only actually started DMing in 5th edition because we ran an Adventures League home game, and we were round-robining the DMing, and it got until everyone else had done it, and then they're like, well, it's uh, your turn, and I'm like, hold on, no, no, and they're like, yeah, no, you just, you know, read the thing from the book, and then make it cool when you read it back out to us, and I'm like, all right, <laughs> But uh, it really wasn't that wasn't that hard, you know. I've always been a decent storyteller, excellent reader, and it's super easy when you're with a group of friends that you're comfortable with. So, picked up DMing in fifth edition, and then uh, the organizing. Actually, there's a funny story into how I got into that. Mm-hmm. Do tell. Do tell. So it actually happened Dragon Con. Um, you said you've been to the D&D room there at Dragon Con. So if you remember the first D&D epic for 5th edition that ran at Dragon Con, Corruption of Crypt Garden. Ooh, let me think. That, what year was that? That was 2015, I want to say. Uh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, I was there. I remember this. I'm starting to, it's starting to come back to me. Dragon Con, you tend to remember sporadic moments of Dragon Con? Yeah, so gaming... Is in the Hilton. We've got, you know, all that wonderful gaming down in the Hilton basement. And then we've got D&D up in that kind of random hallway on the second floor off the atrium there. So um, I was not necessarily new to D&D, not necessarily new to Dragon Con, but I didn't know how to get gaming tickets for Dragon Con at that point in time, which was a terrible travesty. But so I missed out on the Epic tickets because uh, apparently it was weird, but they sold out in like, 30 minutes, which also was a really long time. I've found out since then. Tickets don't last that long for big events. Yeah. I, every time, uh, for anybody who's ever been to a convention and tried to run one, uh, go on and run into one of these, if you're at a smaller convention, it's maybe uh, maybe a bit easier. But like Dragon Con, with the size and with how popular RPGs are, like if you want to get in on a game, get in a ticket, you got to get in there early. Yeah. Well, it's gotten a lot better. Well, special events like the Epic and the Open are still hard to get. But general tickets we've gotten a lot better about seating regular players but and i digress anyways so sorry we were running they were running i had nothing to do with them they were running the epic and i dropped um my boyfriend at the time off at the door to run and there was just this mass mob of people clustering around the door. They're trying to do the DMs meeting and this frazzled blue and pink. And I don't even know what color her hair was at that point in time. Lady comes out, looks at everything with this wide eyed stare and says, shit. Wait, was that the year when they were really, really short on GMs? 
that yes, because fifth edition was still new. They, I remember it was the that first yes, time yes, they yes, ran yes. it. Brooks was in a tizzy. Paige, the woman I'm speaking of, Lightman, who is a saint. If you've uh, played many conventions with 3.5 4th edition, whatever, in the Atlanta area, Paige Lightman and her husband, partner in crime, Ben Heisler, have organized so many of those, and they're absolutely wonderful. So she was organizing it. She was trying to run the DMs meeting, didn't have enough people, comes outside, sees that mob of people, and I'm dressed... Um, for anyone who's not met me, I am tiny, petite, all of five foot five. I'm dressed as Little Red Robin Hood. Little Red Robin Hood. Little Red <laughs> yeah. Robin Hood. So I'm standing there, and she she's like, holy fuck the people. And I'm like, hi, woman I've never met. I was like, you look like you're busy. Go back in. I'll get this line. And she looks at me. She's like, uh, okay, sure. But, you know, she's got to go back in anyway. So she shuts the double doors and just leaves me to this mess comes back outside and in her words when she tells the story i've worked some kind of foul voodoo sorcery everyone is lined up single file touching the walls on either side grouped by levels that they're planning on playing and quiet also definitely not breaking any of the fire codes which is what they were doing you know about 30 seconds prior we were going to get so shut down and she, she comes back out looks at me she says I don't know you, but I love you. Stay right here. And goes and gets Brooks, who's the director for you know all of campaign RPGs there, and says, find out who she is. We're keeping her. <laughs> and after that, like, you know, you know, they talk to me and they're like, Yeah, no, you're definitely involved with this in the future. I need your name, your number, how to find you, and what else are you secretly a wizard at? <laughs> <laughs> so 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 you impressed the pants off of them. Well done, Jenny. Yeah, no, I mean, I was super intimidating, I like to believe. I was standing there yelling. I, I was actually yelling because it's the only way to be heard at people. If you're this level over here, if you're that level over there, if you're not touching the wall, you're not in line. So the funny thing about that year in particular was that was actually my first ever experience with Adventures League was that year. So I might have been a part of one of those lines. I remember having a conversation about the fact that there were so few DMs, GMs, and I was like on the cusp of, I don't remember if that was the year I did or if there was, maybe that was a Momocon I did where, I think it was a Momocon. Basically, um, I've had the experience happen to that that in one of the other conventions I go to and it's literally been like, there's a whole bunch of people who want to play and like, oh, we don't have enough GMs and DMs. And then like, it's kind of like, you know, when somebody steps up and goes, I'm a doctor, like... <laughs> I, I just kind of I kind of overheard them talking all about that and I because I, I just casually talk with staff anyway because I just like to talk to the people who are helping me do the thing I like to do so I was immediately like hey remember me from earlier before lunch I can GM I remember I think Harried and Hillsfar I remember running Harried and Hillsfar which was oh. the first thing I ever ran was uh sorry the first thing I ever played in was Harried and Hillsfar oh my so, Oh my yeah. god, were you one of the people I conscripted two years ago at Momocon down in the back corner of the main hall conscripted yeah like people who weren't actually volunteering for me and they're like i can run and i'm like right now you can yeah uh -huh. I, maybe because it was two <laughs> years ago when i did that oh that Holy was me heck. then i was pulling anyone who even remotely expressed that they were familiar with fifth edition some poor guy and i love him so much walked up off the floor was looking at like the general you can sign up to run whatever game and i i had a mob of people looking for pre-gens to play the intros and i hear him just like i don't know through some voodoo sorcery like six feet down the table say to somebody hey how do i sign up to run a game and i like hawkeye turned to him do you know fifth edition he says uh yeah i said have you ever ran a pre-printed module he says uh no and i'm like it's easy. It's easy. It's literally like two pages. You want to run a game? He says, yeah. I said, I have a group of seven. You can run one right now. And like, just lead him over to a table and sit him down. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. This is like not like a setup here for just like a great anecdote. Honestly, I did not know that we were both in the same place dealing with the same thing. And I had, uh, I guess, volunteered my body and soul to help help people play. I, I actually, what was funny about it is, is I, th I think I, I don't think I spoke with you directly. I'm pretty sure I might have spoken to you tangentially, and I just don't remember it. I 
honestly, I'm not offended if you don't remember me because no, I, no, no. I talked. No, and I don't know you're not either. But I talked to so many people that I'd never met. That exactly. Year. That was my first year running the D. And, and that's for the Momo thing Con. about conventions in general. Like you make con buddies who are like your best friends and your drinking buddies, and you guys are like, oh great. And then the next morning or the next day or the next year, you don't like remember too much or like maybe you see them and they're like oh yeah we did do that thing but yeah no i, I remember that momocon explicitly because of the fact that like i was in line to want to do one of the intro to dnds because i just wanted to throw some dice in the free time and then i was talking with um the white bearded gentleman who's oh, mark buffington my second there we go so i was talking to mark because I talked to Mark all throughout the weekend anyway because I, I would just come by and want to shoot the shit. So I, I was talking to Mark. I'm like, Mark, you guys like don't really have the numbers here. There's like 38 people here who want to do the intro game. He's like, yeah, we don't. like this Even with like seven to a table, it's not going to work out. And yeah. I was like, Mark, I can I can run. And he's like, yeah, you know any modules? And I pulled from that 2015 Dragon Con like, oh, Harry and Hills Fart, which I know maybe the major beats of. So he's like, go for it. So I, I turned around to the group of people who I was shooting the shit with, and I'm like, "Guess what? Spoilers! I'm gonna be your GM. Join me!" And so I just, so I just took these people who I was just talking to about the event, and all of a sudden I'm their GM, and uh, yeah, it was great. I, I, I was gonna say, it is uh, that year was um, a complete clusterfuck as far as organization yeah, went because yeah. I had no idea what I was getting into, and they dragged me into it like two months out from the con. So what you saw was absolutely amazing. Um, but the beauty of that community and the beauty of uh, just this in general, this this you know uh, RPG community uh, and of course Adventures League is people are very inclusive. They want you to play. Will bend over backwards to try to get you into our our tables and playing and having a good time. And literally the fact that like Mark was so cool to be like, all right, I want these people to play in an intro game. You know how to generally run this. Uh, module adventure which like i completely like like i said i knew three three beats and uh, everything else was bs but they, they had a great time i even apologized at the end and i was like if you want to play the real version of this it's called harry and hills far good luck yeah but the, the harry and hills far is one of the intros and that's the kind of fun thing about them like you're only one in, running one section for those and it's literally like three printed pages so like even if you've forgotten it you can kind of glance at it and you can be like okay and you got the story elements and as long as they're having fun that's what you want for the intros, and that's that's the super fun thing about conventions. And one of my favorite things about them is teaching the new players because they don't they don't know if you have everything, all your ducks in a row, and exactly how the adventure is supposed to flow. They just want to roll some dice, have some fun, and make new con friends. And it's thrilling teaching them that. And actually, it's uh, it's really funny that you came back and we talked again because you saw the first year there. You saw it was good. It wasn't bad. It was just it was just a, a bit disorganized. I wasn't prepared. I didn't expect to be there. Uh, I didn't know who to contact. I threw in all my DMs last minute. So it went really well considering. I actually spent a lot of time running games that year as well because the same reason, and Mark did as well, because we're like, well, I don't want to turn them away. That was, that was our um, both our strength and our weakness because Mark and I, only left the RPG table to either run a game or to take a quick bathroom break. We didn't even go for food. People brought us food. Yeah, you guys are really committed. And, and I, I feel like we, we, we kind of jumped over because we're talking so much about Adventures League without being specific. Ginny, could you please give us at least a, a simple breakdown of what Adventures League exactly is? Oh, yeah. No, how rude. Sorry. Not everyone knows. So Adventures League, like I vaguely mentioned, is the organized play program. And what that means Organized play is to D&D quite not really the opposite of like a home game. So a home game, a homebrew, your normal D&D, whatever you want to call it. Different people call it different things. But you have your three to however many people you're comfortable DMing, friends at your house or wherever it is that you want to play. And you've got your bases. You've got the book. And you can just kind of make up your own campaign make up your own new subclasses, features, give them magic items, whatever. You can have fun any way you want to have fun. Organized play, you have your table of three to seven players, and you follow the rules, you know, as written in the book, as outlined in the book. Same thing for, um, there's some general rules for magic item distribution and stuff. And those rules exist because it is a shared global campaign, maybe intergalactic campaign one day, who knows. But 
It is a shared campaign, and we got to have a couple of rules to keep it on even footing for everyone. Now, the beauty of it being a shared campaign, though, is you can take your character that you rolled up at your Adventures League game in your friend Steven's Kitchen, and as long as you were playing Adventures League and you logged it, and you've got your, you know, your your log sheet, which is proof, which I mean, it's the honor system still. You wrote it down, and you're not you're not being a liar because that's just that's that's not fun. We don't do that. You could take your character from Steven's game. You could take it to a convention in Minnesota. You could take it to your game store in Orlando, Atlanta, wherever. You can take it over to your friend Bethany's house, and you can run it there. And you keep gaining levels and experience and all of that on your character. And you can take it anywhere that Adventurous League is played. So that's the fun part. And you've got these shared stories. So the books that Wizards releases, plus Adventurous League gets these own, their own uh, kind of self-contained seasonal storylines that correlate with the books and are really easily played if you've only got like a short amount of time. Like it's great for uh, busy people who uh, work all the time and maybe have like, well, you know, I've got the occasional Wednesday night free to pop down to Gigabytes and play some Adventures League with 60 or 70 other people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, sometimes Gigabytes does have 60 to 70 people, especially on uh, Warhammer and stuff. But yeah, like like the, the, the thing I found very, very quickly and what I thought was very interesting about this group play, this idea, is the interconnectedness you have with anyone else who's ever run in the same, you know, adventure or module with you because you can all relate to like, oh man, oh, I remember when the giant and the riddle and the whole thing about Hail Dragon Queen, like, oh wow, yeah, that took us forever. Like, no, I got that on the first try. Like, you instantly have that in to sharing that same experience regardless of where in the world you are or uh, hopefully uh, if you have friends that are multicultural, uh, what language you speak. Because I, 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 and I think that's really, really cool because uh, majority of the people I've had on so far have been uh, leaning more towards talking about our own individual home games and either our own home house rules and things like that. But because of that kind of very specificity, um, you're you're very much living in each kind of bubble universes. Whereas when you have this create character that you create for Adventures League, I mean, you can associate them with one of the main factions of the larger D and D storyline, right? You can associate them with, you know, you can be a Harper or, or like you can then literally contribute to the storyline as it goes. Because I think you guys are they called seasons or what? What are they? What are these? Uh, yeah, story- that's what they're called. Seasons. Yeah, yeah, they're called seasons, and you can contribute to. Um- any, so everyone has the shared story, and you all, maybe you got to it a different way. Like I said, maybe some of you stopped Tiamat from coming back, or maybe some of you were like, uh, I don't see what the big deal is. Tiamat did nothing wrong. We let her come back. <laughs> but you can be in any of the five main factions, which are kind of a cool thing about Adventurers League, and recently they actually were really cool. So there's like the Harpers, which are like the secret spy organization that's not very good at being a secret. Everybody knows their names. I'm pretty sure, like, everyone has, like, a Harper tattoo on their forehead, like, neon lights flashing. They're, like, shoving their pin in your face. They're like, look, dude, are you one of these two? And you're like, yeah, man, stop it, Larry. We get it. (laughs) And then there's, like, the Emerald Enclave, uh, nature lovers, druids, rangers, all that jazz. There's the Order of the Gauntlet, you know, the protectors of the you know, the poor and the weak and everything, knights and paladins and clerics and other do-goodly type people. Uh, Then there's the Lord's Alliance, like upstanding nobles and uh, knights and paladins and whatevers that want to, you know, kind of keep the power and uh, a little bit of nobility and you know keep keep everything kind of status quo power where power belongs and then there's the zentarum uh, also known as the black network which are powerful and ambitious and a little more covert but also still not great at being covert uh all the time but i mean i'm assuming there are some who are bad at it to really take the the heat off the ones who are good at it that's why you yeah, so all those factions are like a thing that you could be part of in the Adventurers League. Everyone claims a faction or not. You don't have to. I just think they're a kind of a cool story thing, which actually recently uh, and available to play 
at DragonCon this year, if anyone's going to that, uh, it premiered at Origins. There was a Epic, which is a, a kind of special thing for organized play programs. They used to be called Battle, Battle Interactives. But an Epic is a special event that uh, has multi-table interactive game. So you get anywhere between six and... Oh god, I played at an epic at Gen Con once that had like 112 tables going concurrently. We don't do that anymore. That's not a thing that happens. It's just a its a nightmare. It's a mess. Logistic, log, logist, logistically, it made my head hurt, and it's a nightmare to find that many DMs. Yeah, I was going to ask ask about logistics in a second. That thought, it just of all those people, scares the living crap out of me. It was um, fun and not fun. Also, they turned the lights out on accident in the whole gaming hall, so that was a whole other block. But anyway, so an epic... Uh, is really cool, and it's like a multi-table interactive event where all the tables kind of affect one another. And they have an epic out now, uh, available, like I said, at DragonCon, called The Red War, which is completely player-driven content. You can't get that anywhere other than an organized play campaign on that scale. The factions have declared war on the Red Wizards of Fae that are occupying Molemaster, which... Uh, Molemaster is a city on the Moon Sea, and it's important because it was featured heavily in the second season of Adventurers League, which accompanied the Princes of the Apocalypse book release. So each season accompanies the book release. So the Horde of the Dragon Queen had, uh, I can never, Tyranny of Dragons. That was that season name, Tyranny of Dragons. And then there was the Elemental Evil season, and then the Rage of Demons accompanied Out of the Abyss, and then Curse of Strahd was just Curse of Strahd. <laughs> it didn't need a fancy name. Storm King's Thunder, same thing. Uh, Tales from the Yawning Portal also had an accompanying season, which was very short because those were all kind of rehashed adventures. Uh, Tomb of Annihilation had the longest season we've seen yet for Adventurers League, and we are poised now to go into the brand new season in August or September. I'm not exactly sure when the official start date is for that, to accompany the new Waterdeep books, Dragon Heist and Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Super excited for that. So yeah, this like whole evolving storyline, this season's concept is amazing, and I'm pretty sure it's a great benefit for all gyms and pcs and uh players alike but i I mentioned earlier that crazy game at gen con you don't have to talk too much about that because it sounds like you have a bit of ptsd there but (laughs) i didn't i didn't run i played so it was fine but like looking back on it now from like the view of like having organized things uh dave is a saint and a martyr, that's Dave Christ who runs Baldman Games, who organizes all of the D&D for Gen Con, Origins, and Winter Fantasy. Absolutely deserved every single drink at the bar there. Like, all of them. He needed all of them. I don't even know how he, like, crazy. He's absolutely insane. So what, what, so what on a typical convention, not a crazy 100-table one, like event play, what was the logistics like for you on a typical convention? Sounds like you're, you're calling DMs together and printing off pre-gens, and like, what, what are you typically doing? So, yeah, that's a good question. What does an organizer for a convention do? So, it depends, you know, what size your convention is. You're running a small game day, six tables at a time. Uh, you obviously... First, you find your place to have it, and you make sure you have six tables, if that's what you want to (laughs) do. Figure out your schedule, what games you want to offer, what you think people want to play. Like for Momocon, you you might have noticed, I run a lot of older content. Like this last, last year, I ran stuff from the first season, so that was a couple years old. And this year, I ran stuff from the second season, which was, you know, newer than that, but still old. Yeah, I think the thing I played was Storm King around that season. Yeah, and yeah. I also, you know, for the higher tier stuff, which is uh, t- tier tier one is levels one to five, uh, sorry, one to four, tier two is levels five to ten, tier three for Avengers League is 11 to 16, and then tier four is 17 to 20, if you're not familiar with the tiers in the organization. So I, for the higher tier stuff, I have to offer newer content because there simply wasn't high high level content in the old seasons because nobody's character was that high level. 
So I get a, a you know a good mix. But for all of the low level stuff, all the new players, I just pick some old stuff because it gives the DMs a chance to brush out you know brush off some of the their old favorite modules that they love. And new players haven't played any of it; it's all new to them. Yeah, the beauty of being a new player is you, you don't understand where it comes from, but you just understand and, playing in that world. Yeah, and then you've got players who aren't new anymore, but they're new-ish. So they've been playing, you know, at their local stores and stuff, and they've been playing all the, the you know, the hot new stuff, because that's what stores are running. But they've not played any of the old stuff, so you get to a convention and they're like, this is new content to me. So they want to play it too. So that's kind of my thought on how I organize my schedule for something like Momocon, where it's mostly new player focused. Uh, but that's the, so you you figure out your schedule of what you want to run based on whatever criteria you, you know your player base as an organizer. Um, if you've got enough tables, you can request uh, special events like the Epic, the D&D Open, which is a competitive event for organized play, which is massive, an eight hour long event. Um, most things are four, two hours or four hours long. So how, how do you play competitive D&D? Like, do you keep track of uh, critical hits and whatnot? They have a score sheet, which the player should not know what you're scoring on. They get a little bit of a taste of what you're scoring on at the beginning. There's some questions that they have to answer and like little things that they get to track. But other things are hidden and only the DM and uh, admin team know what they're being scored on. So maybe it's, you know, negative points for first person to die. Maybe it's positive points for first player to die. Uh, first, you know, person to kill an, in a monster or first person to use a healing spell, or it, the criteria vary depending on the particular open, because they've all got different themes. This year's open is Gangs of Waterdeep, and it's very much an intrigue-based open, different than the last year's Hack and Slash Through the Jungles of Chult. So I don't want to talk too much about that, though, because it's really easy to spoil it. Oh, it's a lot, no, of, no, lot of fun. No, a lot no, of fun. No, 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 no want of spoiling. We want everyone to have a great time when they get their opportunity to play the new content. But yeah, so you've got the tables, you've got your adventures, which you've decided on. Um, you know, I, I, what else? Then it's a lot of, I don't want to say micromanaging, but managing, because you've started planning depending on the scale of your event. Uh, so for MomoCon, which. Uh, we have now the ballroom, which is amazing, and I love everything about that. Thank you so much to MomoCon for moving me to this new and improved space. Uh, or, you know, DragonCon when you've got that, or GenCon when you've got that, or whatever space you have. So I start planning. MomoCon happens Memorial Day. I start planning around Thanksgiving, preliminary planning. I start my scheduling and figuring out what I'm going to have and communicating with the Adventures League admins on, hey, this is what I want. What can you promise me? And then I start some preliminary seeking, you know, volunteers around mid-January. I don't have the schedule fully flushed out then, but I have an idea from MomoCon on how many tables they're going to allow me to have, which we always do a lot of bickering back and forth. I'm like, I'm hearing you say 36, but I'm thinking more like 42, so 48. So let's like meet in the middle at 42. Like, and, you know, we, we, we continue to have that actual like physical space logistical bickering back and forth up until pretty close to the con when we solidify it but get my schedule start soliciting however many volunteers you think you need and then some more always get more if you're planning on having six tables running all the time have enough dms to run seven to eight tables every every slot uh, just just do it it'll save yourself a lot of heartache um, stay in communication with your dms constantly Set expectations. I send out a... Uh, so I have my volunteers for MomoCon, and I'm going to keep on that one because it's the one that I fully, 100% start to finish own. Well, not the only one, but one of the one of the big ones that I start to finish own the whole process. So I send out a Google survey link, and that's where... That's my intake form. They give me a bunch of information on it, some standard information like name, how do I contact you, their cell phone number, because if you've been at a convention, you know that it's hard to text, Facebook message, or whatever other internet-based uh, 
or well, texting is okay, but whatever internet-based mode of communication you think you might rely on, you could forget it. So they give me their phone number so I can call them in an emergency crisis. At the con, I'm like, uh, Jacob, you're you're late for your slot. He's like, uh, no, Jenny, I'm standing six feet behind you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, carry on. It's <laughs> just uh, stuff like that. So contact information, you know, maybe a little bit about their experience with convention play before, any preferences they have on what they want to run. Because I've got people who they absolutely want to help me, but they're just terrified of DMing a table. They only want to help with like admin tasks, like and. Lord knows every convention needs a solid group of admins, people to organize paper, papers, people to hand out log sheets, character sheets, to tidy up constantly because it always needs cleaning, to answer general questions, to point people to the schedule, to... Uh, the list is endless, really. You need people to do stuff. So I always get a ton of those. Um, and I, I think I finally found the magic number for me this year at Momocon. It was great. It was glorious. It was good. And so you set your expectations. You send out, after they sign up on my intake form, I send out immediately a templated welcome letter. It's like, thank you for joining the team. If you've been with us before, you're going to know most of this, but please read it anyways. There may be some changes from preach. You know, and like expectation, like volunteer sign-up deadline is you know, X date, if I know it at that point. A lot of times I don't know that until later. So I'm like, it's to be announced sometime in May. We'll get to it. So make sure you've filled out not only this form, but official sign up through MomoCon. Uh, all volunteers will be expected to work at least this many hours. For those hours, this is what you can expect to get from the con. Uh, if your slot doesn't make, what happens? Like if players don't show up for your assigned slot, which... It's apparently not a problem I need to worry about, but, uh, well, that's not true. I had players not show for, like, higher-level stuff, and I used those DMs to run more intro tables, which is what it said in that email. So, you know, you clearly see your expectations, and you keep reminding them when you're far out, you know, once a month is good. Don't annoy your volunteers. As it gets closer, you know, hey, this is, this is the expectations, this is the schedule, this is your assigned spot on the schedule, you know. Make yourself available as an organizer and be like, answer questions on the spot. Like, I, as MomoCon gets closer, like, I can't put my phone away from me. Somebody always has a question. Always. And then once you've got all your DMs, you've got all your volunteers, you're almost ready for the con, you have the schedule, you have all the materials that you need, you get the materials to your DMs with plenty of time to prep if possible. Not always possible, but, you know. We try. Make sure everyone has it. Double, triple, quadruple, make sure everyone has it. Someone will always, last minute, be like, hey, you never sent me. And you're like, I hate you a little bit right now, but here it is. Also, learn to check your email. Because <laughs> that's a lie. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, just general, you know, same shuffle and bustle, trying to get everyone ready for the con. Uh, and then at the con... Try to make sure everyone is there when they need to be there. Uh, make sure you've got everything you promised you'd have for your players. You've got signage. Never undervalue signage. Maybe no one reads it. Maybe you point at the sign 60 million times because no one's reading it. Signage. You know, all your handouts, your character sheets, your log sheets, your this, your that, your other, your tables where they need to be. And then in an ideal world... Then you sit back and relax and watch everything go seamlessly, flawlessly, without a hitch. Wow. So that that is a lot of stuff that a lot of people I don't think understand you do. And the fact that you started <laughs> all the way at Thanksgiving, like for me, it's it's that's like what, six months out from Mormocon basically? Thanksgiving? Uh, let's see. November, December, January, February, March, April, May. Yeah, that's exactly six months out. So you start six months out this entire and, and process. And really, um, actually, I say that. That's when I, like, really, like, seriously, like, start thinking about MomoCon multiple times per week. No, I've already started on MomoCon for next year. Yeah, so here we are, what, two months removed from MomoCon, and you're thinking <laughs> I, already about MomoCon? I was thinking about MomoCon two days after MomoCon. Uh, I started up my draft of my after-action review for how Con went, things I'd like to improve, 
uh, things like that for the you know the the board, uh, the other directors and stuff, wish list and stuff like that. And um, then I started plotting and planning, like if you know hopes and wishes were dreams and I could have every single thing I ever wanted, these are the things I want. And then you know we're gonna kind of dwell on those for a while. We'll have some more meetings and stuff, and we'll figure out in general, how MomoCon is going to go for next year. And then I'll start really pushing probably, uh, I don't know, sep- September-ish or so after DragonCon uh, for, hey, you remember my wish list? Where are we, what are we looking like? Are we going to get like bigger space? Like I know like you've had some time, you know, just the general um, overall big picture things like, Last year's was, after last year's, it was so, uh, I know you like having us down in the main hall, and I like being visible down in the main hall, but can we not? Yeah, so (laughs) you guys are, you guys are way, way more intense than I thought you were, which, you know, I guess is is on me for uh, underestimating how much of a logistical and like interpersonal uh uh task it is to put this all together do you enjoy this like are are you doing all right or do you just feel this great sense of responsibility like do you need me to call someone for you like we can get you help <laughs> no no i'm fine i actually i really do enjoy it and i keep saying the word logistical because it really is and it's funny because that's what my my, my day job is i do uh supply chain stuff so like i my brain is always in an organizational mode so like, yeah like i was gonna say anyone who runs these types of functions and adventures league and things like that i mean i've always been tempted to put in my cv obviously i'm a dungeon master and i've been you know on a micro scale running that team and making sure everybody shows up and then creating worlds and all that but you are doing that to the umpteenth degree like you totally should work in that it makes sense that you work in that field anyone anyone organizing anything regularly should absolutely like okay so sure you're not gonna put like volunteer well i mean if you want to you can it might be relevant to your whatever you're doing i don't know your life but most people aren't gonna put D adventures the store coordinator or whatever no but you got a skills section on your resume everyone should have a skills section if you don't have a skills section by the way i highly recommend it you should be putting those critical life skills that you're learned through your organizing duties like you've learned people management time management volunteer coordination you've learned probably some budgeting if anyone's ever organized a convention or whatever because you don't have one you have to work with basically no money um you you've learned you know event organization coordination you know project management because it is it's just a big project you've learned uh, people management, people skills, whatever, customer service. You, you've learned so many things and you have utilized them and you can talk about it in a way that fits whatever, you know, someone's like, oh, I see you've got uh, people management skills down on here and they're looking through and they're like, but you don't really have any, um, I don't have a managerial position sitting here. You're like, okay, well, you know, I, you're right, but I, this event that I organize pretty regularly where I'm routinely managing, I don't know how big your store is or whatever, 15 to 30 individuals to coordinate a variety of ongoing events where we've each got six to seven uh, participants in each of those. And we make sure that everything runs smoothly. We schedule it. We coordinate it. Uh, we have the event space and range, the time blocked out and you know all of that it's like it's so easy to when it's your when it's something you're doing like as a hobby like that which definitely correlates into real life skills absolutely add it on there and i've gone way off on a tangent there but no you're fine listen it's definitely uh, like my other job i'm 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 totally ecstatic that now you lucky listeners have learned something about how to improve your CV from just my RPG podcast. You didn't expect that when you plugged in or downloaded this episode. <laughs> so you've got that one up, life skill accomplished uh, achievement there. But no, you actually mentioned multiple times now, volunteers, volunteers, volunteers. The amazing thing is the fact that all of these people 
collectively want to make this thing work so much and they're doing this volunteering. And you mentioned the volunteer program a little bit later, uh, earlier. So what is that exactly? And God, how do you, how do you, how do you just get so many people to want to volunteer? It's so amazing. Well, so the volunteer program I mentioned earlier and volunteers that I'm mentioning in general are two different things. So the volunteer program specifically that Wizards had was a coordinator program. They had uh, local coordinators who managed small, uh, usually city or small geographical groups of Wizards stores. And when I say managed, I mean they kind of uh, liaised with them and helped them run Adventures League stuff at some point in time back when they would be the point of contact to provide Adventures League materials to them to help them get set up in the Wizards event reporter, to find players, DMs, and all, or, or and or any of that, not necessarily do all of that. But that was the general idea of what a local coordinator did. They educated the stores, and they helped them coordinate and put on events, um, mainly the D&D Expeditions and the D&D Encounters, which, are the, which were the weekly uh, play nights that Wizards had set up to where you could play Adventures League on those nights and your store could get credit. And then the regional coordinators uh, organized and coordinated all of the local coordinators within their big geographical region. So U.S. Northeast, the Great Lakes, the Far West, uh, Asia, Pacific, Europe, I mean, each of the parts of the world had a regional coordinator who was kind of like the middle management there where we had to have, you know, uh, periodic check-in meetings with all of our local coordinators to make sure that they had all of the relevant news and updates to disseminate out to their stores. Um, and that was actually very much like a job to me and to my local coordinators as well, because I took over from Topher Cohen, who was the regional coordinator before me, uh, you, I don't know my, if, if you know Topher. Atlanta's a big city, but he lives in Atlanta. But uh, I did legitimate uh, Google Hangout interviews for anyone who wanted to be a local coordinator. I'm like, tell me why you should have this responsibility and position and what you're going to add to your community. And we would, you know, have like an hour-long talk about, like, educational things for DMs, uh, store outreach, um inclusivity training, getting how to get more players in, new places to try to reach out and like get games started, like uh, high school D&D clubs, college D&D clubs, like community center uh, DM training classes and whatnot, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, initiatives to kind of grow the community. And also I worked with a lot of my local coordinators on, okay, cool. So you got, you got a pretty vibrant community going. What next? Well, we kind of want to do a convention, but we have no idea. And I'm like, all right, cool. I will, you know, teach you how to baby's first convention, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and just kind of go from there. So that was a really fulfilling part of uh, my D&D career as it was and continues to be is just watching D&D grow in my area. That was, if you talk to any of the people who were my local coordinators, uh, Mark Buffington being one of them, was one of my senior local coordinators, and, um, oh, God, by the time I was done growing it, I can't even begin to list them all, but some very amazing people in the Southeast and local coordinators throughout the world that I also worked with, just watching them take the knowledge and everything and just grow their little pockets of D&D &D into these vibrant, thriving communities, and the best thing about that is okay, you've grown it. It's going to keep growing because now those people are excited and they tell their friends and they tell their friends. And it's like the best multi-level marketing thing that ever existed. <laughs> Except you don't have to buy anything. See, I, I've always not called it like multi-level marketing. I've called it like anyone who's a GM, DM or player always becomes kind of an evangel of the house of the D20. It's so like, any it's like, a, it's like yeah. an opposite multi-level marketing. Like you're doing it except 
instead of selling things to your friends and then they have to sell them to their friends, you're giving it away. Yeah. And, 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 and or, or we're drug dealers and the first it's free, but like, yeah, <laughs> like, like I've, I've always said this thing that like now, once I've gotten people into DMing, GMing or playing the game, whenever they're hanging out with their non uh, RPG friends, go and, preach and, the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And anytime they hear something that might sound like, Oh, you might be interested. Oh, you play fantasy video games or, Oh, you like game of Thrones and stuff like that. Have you heard of RPGs and D and D I'll run a one shot for you. You, the first hit's free, you know. Like it's always <laughs> one of those things, and and I, I've admitted this, I think, on another podcast before. But like when I was uh, when I was running around a single man, well, actually, regardless of whether I was a single man or not, I, if I was ever having a, a conversation at a bar with somebody newer, and I, they mentioned something like that, and they're like, "Oh, I've always wanted to try RPGs, but you know, I just never had the time." I'm like, "BS, give me three traits." Okay, you're starting in a you're starting in a, a, a coastal town. Your characters in the bar, like I start DMing <laughs> right there at the table with no die or anything, but just because like for yeah, me, it's play. It's play. This is play. This is storytelling. This is make believe. This is what we've been doing since we've been children. So this will naturally come to you. And as as long as you're willing to let go of your ego and your inhibitions, uh, you're going to have an amazing time. I can guarantee it. Yeah, it's the best collaborative storytelling you'll ever do. Yeah, 1,000%. And that's actually one of the things I was going to ask you personally. You've probably been around so many games now, from Adventures League to your own games, to being in this really uh, in-depth helping cultivate this culture you mentioned it a little bit with like the change over the years, but like for me, I've always said, I feel like these past like five, six years have been a renaissance in tabletop gaming in particular in RPGs and the game has changed so much. And for me, one of the uh, most enlightening things is to see people who you wouldn't uh, stereotypically assume play these games, get into it and have a new culture or new uh, genders or new even ages introduced to this because one of my favorite things is at my one of my local actually uh, shops that I go to gigabytes uh, is walking in and seeing a a kid who's probably not older than maybe 11 or 12 DMing for 30 year olds and 40 year olds and being like that's badass and also the laughing in my head about the idea of like what if this 40 year old character 40 year old's character dies like this damn kid killed my character Most people aren't like that, at least. But yeah, no, it has been, especially with the uh, emergence of people able to watch streaming games and kind of being like, wow. I mean, of course, those tend to be a little bit more theatrical in presentation, like Critical Role is a huge hit. Um, Dice, Camera Action, The Waffle Crew, Acquisitions, Inc., all of the cool, like, Maze, Arcana, role play it me jp and all that if you've been into any streaming stuff like there's so much content out there that you can watch and be inspired and i think that's really just kind of brought like a renaissance in also because all of the uh role playing online games world of warcraft was huge and totally inspired fourth edition but it's fine i forgive it and like all those other uh precursors to everything we had growing up runescape everquest uh Fable, Dragon Age, all of those, even, like, things you don't think of, like, uh, Mass Effect and stuff like that. They're all role-playing things, and so they've gotten people conditioned to where we're like, role-playing is fun. And so more people are willing to try it. And as we got away from the clunky, super mechanic, math-heavy rules of 3rd edition 3.5 and 4th edition, bless its heart... Fifth edition is so easy to teach people. Like at their heart, you're like, yeah, we're we're gonna go on an adventure. We're gonna tell a story. You tell me what you want to do, and I can tell you when you need to roll the dice. You, we're a lot of the time we're not even gonna roll the dice much. You're like, I want to go over here and climb this tree and look out and scope and see the approaching army, and I'm gonna use my keen sight to and my message because I've got messages to spell to tell you guys what all is going on so we can be prepared when this army gets here and we're totally going to ambush them. And you're like, yeah, no, yeah, we do that. You do that, yeah. And they're like, cool. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and enabling people to have fun. That's, you know, uh, DMGM's job. And also, I think, what you guys also are doing is enabling more people to have fun as well. And, you know, just because I, I think you definitely have enough credentials to say this, I just want to know tics or, tips and tricks for myself, like, and anybody listening, what makes a good session? What makes a great, it doesn't have to be Adventures League, but obviously you have a, a relation to that. What draws people in when they want to try? 
Well, I don't claim to be world's best DM. We're going to start with that. I um, I will often tell my friends that I am world's least prepared DM, um, which is true. <laughs> but I think, you know, having a, a good session is mostly like having an open mind to where the story is going to go. Even as even with Adventurers League, like there's, you know, obviously a little bit of railroading going on because we have a central story that we've got to follow. But like, cool, we're getting from A to B. We're going to go straight there today tomorrow we're gonna take the scenic route and then loop back down the river and then backtrack back up through the pass and over the woods to grandma's house whatever it is but just letting your players tell it how they want to tell it and embracing really like so if you've got someone who's like super gung-ho and they've like come up with all these backstories and stuff and your players are all really vibing with one another and they're like, yeah, no, we're all best friends. And we've decided that um, the tabaxi over here was actually the son of the tabaxi that my great, great, great grandmother, who was like the little village herbal peddler, used to you know, have stop in and tell her all these fantastic, wonderful tales. And you're like, Wow. <laughs> You're like, all right, you guys did a great job. So you kind of like embrace whatever it is that your players are wanting. They're wanting to have a super interconnected story. You take it all in, absorb everything they're giving you, their energy, and just give it right back to them. Kind of feed them bits and pieces of what they've given you, weave back in with the story. So we're going out to a farm and you know, to meet someone because you've heard there's been strange tell of people getting sick and this madness coming over them. And you get out there and, you know, everyone's in the house and you hear screaming out from the barn. You go out there and there's this goat giving birth and, you know, uh, your characters are all like, oh god, and some of them are freaking out because they super love animals and this goat's obviously having a bad time. You're like, you're like I know advanced animal midwifery techniques and you're like, uh, druid, you've got the skills, animal handling, survival, wisdom, nature, all that jazz. You're like, yeah, of course you do. You know advanced animal midwifery skills. Get in there. Save that baby. <laughs> and, you know, just let them have fun. Uh, you know, of course, it's a demon baby goat, but whatever. I mean, that's that's just good storytelling, of course. No, that's that's in uh, that's in Harriet and Hills Park. Yeah, I know, I know. That's, uh, I, I saw <laughs> what you were doing there, and I was like, "Let's be subtle," but it's all that's, right. That's one of my favorite ones. Uh, I I've run that one so many times because I have an affinity for goats, and I can make really good uh, goat sound effects that I am absolutely not doing on this podcast. You must find me in person because they do not take well to the microphone. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I, I I like that one because obviously I, I've I've been a player in it, and then I BS ran one of those versions, but I also like it because like being not originally from the south but around enough people in the south here the fact that one of the first people you meet is, is the farmers uh i i immediately go into a thick southern accent which makes people feel right at home and they and they pick up very quickly I'm like oh it's a farmer family with a bunch of hey it's tiefling boy and kids running around like it, it's kind of funny you're like oh this must be some kind of farm orphanage and they're like yeah y'all's family now yeah absolutely you know <laughs> Sit on down. We whip you up some dinner. Yeah, it's 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 easy for me to improv what what the dinner or breakfast is like because I'm like, all right, we got it. Farmers in the south, I know exactly it's, what cornbread and grits and mashed potatoes some, and collard greens. Biscuits, yep, biscuits, potatoes, uh, yeah. meat. Maybe it's sausage, bacon. Who knows? Yep, yep, yep. And then also, I, I because I think I think the other ventures also stemmy around some of the other farms. They are the one with the I don't want to reveal too much. The one with yeah, the, you're all out in the outskirts there. Yeah, yeah. So, so so you kind of kind of stick with the general theme of like simple, you know, common folk, blue collar types. You know what it's like. I mean, they're just general fine upstanding folk, and they don't understand what's going on. Why those city shit? folks are coming over here with their weird demands and edicts? Yeah. Yeah, and they're kicking all those nice folks out of the city, and they're coming out here, and we're just taking them all in. That's just what we do. You know, because we're, 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 we're kind Lathander people. That's what we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's a, that's a good series of intro mods, actually. Um, but um, actually, though, I was uh, – so I kind of waxed poetic there for a minute on the actual volunteer program and didn't even mention that uh, – well, I did mention way back when that. That itself, though, was canceled, like I said. But – 
other volunteers, which I keep, you know, raving about and everything, like, if you love DMing, and maybe you're not a convention organizer, maybe you've heard what I've just said, and you're absolutely freaked out, which there's no reason to be freaked out. Not, that's not a thing that everyone can do. And for those of you who can do it, we we love you. We love you so much. And we thank you. And you don't get thanked enough. You're, you know, godsend. But if you like DMing, you just want to DM for people. There are so many opportunities to volunteer. And even as just a DM volunteer, you are bringing all that joy to the world. DM volunteers, general convention volunteers, like, they're my favorite people in the world because they're so selfless and giving. Like, they're at a con and they're taking their time at this convention where they could be playing or running games or checking out the new hot board games or hot costumes or the hot boys and girls or whatever they like. Who knows? <laughs> or the hot pockets or the hot cakes. Please do not eat a hot pocket at a convention. We don't have enough time in the bathroom. <laughs> that just, is I mean, so true. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Eat whatever you want. If you, you know your you know your own self. Some people can. You know eat. your intestines and your blood. Some people can eat 20 hot pockets and they're fine. Me personally, I'm going to leave them at the store. Uh, but yeah, so like they're the lifeblood of organized play, and they're the the true backbone of this thing. They're what makes it work. Like so that is absolutely still a thing. Find your local convention, local game store, local whatever, and be like, hey. I want to help. How can I help? And guarantee you, if you tell someone you can DM, they'll be like, uh, yeah, no, we have a spot for you. When it, whenever you're available, we're available. Yeah. DMs are always wanted, it seems. Yeah. Uh, the unemployment rate for DMs is pretty much zero. All DMs are employed. <laughs> yeah, I would say almost negative. There, there, there's, there's more jobs there, there, than DMs. There is a surplus of jobs. <laughs> yeah. And not enough, not enough butts in the seats. Yeah, which uh, which is a great problem to have. A lot of people who just want to have fun, and I, I think ultimately that's kind of what you guys are accomplishing with Adventures League. And you, of course, have been doing this for such a long time and been helping a lot of people out. You're kind of a, a hero in that regard, too. Oh no, no, not not a hero, but I mean, I do what I can, and I like to think that I bring joy to a lot of people, and it's really, you know, uh, satisfying, fulfilling thrilling heartening all of all of those good adjectives to like you know hear people come back and they're like oh you ran a game for me or oh my god you were the blue lady who was organizing D and you're my hero my idol and i'm like that's unnecessary but <laughs> thank you i mean that's kind of like what us organizers and volunteers and coordinators this is what we live for like not your thanks necessarily like we don't we don't need it we just mm -hmm. But it's nice to hear that you had fun at our events. Mm -hmm. You got to thank your support players, too. Always thank your healers. Thank your support players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're literally the life of the party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with that amazing pun, uh, Jenny, if people want to contact you and just chat with you about anything and everything, what would be the best means to? All right. This is real easy. I keep it simple for everyone. You can find me on Twitter at Jenny Loveday, that's G-I-N-N-Y-L-O-V-E-D-A-Y. You can find me on Facebook, the very same, Jenny Loveday. If you're one of those people who is all up into Instagram and doesn't like those other modes of contact, I switched it up there. It's G underscore Loveday. Uh, you can also find me real soon uh, on my old but new podcast, the D&D &D Roundtable, part of the Tome Show. Find me there at DND, the letter in there, Roundtable on Twitter. And same, dndroundtable at gmail.com if you have something you want to be on that show. You can also find me in person at several places. You can find me at Dragon Con in not enough days because I haven't finished my costumes. That's fine. Uh, you can find me at Winter Fantasy coming up in the late winter. And then, of course... You uh, will find me in the RPG room at MomoCon if you happen to make your way down there. Also, I organize a charity convention in the Knoxville area every year, Save Versus Hunger, where all of our proceeds go back to the Second Harvest Food Bank. You can absolutely find me there. That is uh, usually around the first week in April. And again, that's a wonderful little event. It's 100% tabletop gaming, mostly D&D, uh, &D, Pathfinder, and other RPGs. We've got a great board game section in the back too. Find me at all those places in person. Um, and 
I'm not shy and I'm not mean. People tell me that I'm nice, so don't hesitate to reach out. Your question's not stupid. Don't worry about that. I'd love to talk to you. Yeah, and we loved having you on as well. And if you want to contact me, my personal Twitter is at Classy underscore Don. That's D-O-N. The My RPG Podcast can be found on Podbean and at iTunes. Just search My RPG. The Gmail is also MyRPGPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you at the table. 